Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm Natasha Smith, coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we'd like to welcome you to the first Ministry Watch podcast of 2023. On today's program, Open Doors USA is changing its name and its focus. We'll have details. Plus, the Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention rolls out an accreditation process designed to help ministries protect children. And it is a new year, and Ministry Watch has published its annual list of highly paid ministry executives. We'll have a preview of the list later in the program. We begin today with more news about the slow-moving breakup of the United Methodist Church. Yeah, just a few weeks ago, 487 United Methodist churches were approved for disaffiliation with the denomination, and that brings the total of ratified exits to 1,314. Hundreds more are already in the pipeline. They've voted to exit and are waiting for final approval. Almost all of them are theologically conservative churches anticipating the denomination's official adoption of pro-LGBTQ issues when its governing general conference meets in 2024. Yeah, but by the end of 2022, which was the deadline for exiting with church property, at least 3,000 and possibly as many as 5,000 churches were expected to exit. United Methodism has about 30,000 U.S. churches, so this is not a majority by any stretch of the imagination, but denominational agencies are preparing for a 38% drop in funding for the 25-28 fiscal years, uh, which implies an approximate expected membership loss of about 2.3 million members, and that's in a denomination that currently has about 6.3 million members. At least that was their number in the United States in the year 2020. Most exiting churches, perhaps 80 or 90 percent, are expected eventually to join the new Global Methodist Church. Yeah, that's the conservative group that's sort of forming uh, around the departed uh, churches. But it's not true in every case. White's Chapel United Methodist Church, for example, which is right outside of Dallas and has about 6,000 worshipers every Sunday, um, is one of the denomination's largest churches. But on November 7th, they voted to exit United Methodism, but they surprised some folks by not affiliating with the Global Methodist Church or anyone else. They've just gone independent, at least for now. And it's especially interesting because this church is not known as being particularly conservative. White's Chapel evidentially does not want United Methodist progressivism nor Global Methodism's conservatism. So the congregation is forming what it calls a Methodist Collegiate College to create a new form of connectionalism, one of shared ministry, equal accountability, and practical governance. Yeah, the church said that it wants to retain Wesleyan theology and Methodist traditions, rites, and rituals while escaping denominational ownership of property, payments to the denomination, appointment of clergy by bishops, and oversight of clergy ordination by the denomination. It hopes to put in, these are its words, people over polity. 
These aspirations reflect the current spirit of American Christianity, which is increasingly post-denominational and less interested in centralized church bureaucracy or denominational authority. Yeah, the new global Methodist church, it will be a conservative denomination, reflects that same spirit. It has said that its congregations will own their own property, they will have authority over their pastoral appointments by the bishops, and they'll make minimal payments to the denomination whose bureaucracy, such as it is, will be very lean. And the United Methodist Church is not the only liberal denomination in decline. Yeah, the Episcopal Church just announced its 2021 numbers, and it had lost 56,000 members, and attendance had dropped even more precipitously, 36% in a single year. 62 congregations permanently closed, and the average Episcopal Church has 21 persons in average weekly attendance, 21 people. 90% of Episcopal churches have fewer than 100 attendees on Sunday. Our next story involves a large and well-known Christian ministry that is changing its name, but is also changing a good bit more than just its name. Yeah, the group is called Open Doors USA. It's the U.S.-based arm of the global Christian persecution watchdog. Uh, They've departed from Open Doors International and relaunched this month as a group that that it's calling the Global Christian Relief. It maintains the same board as before and the same CEO, David Curry. Meanwhile, in a separate statement, Open Door said it will maintain a presence in the United States and announce Lisa Pierce as interim CEO of its U.S. office. Yeah, that's one of the more unusual aspects of this story, that there will now be two similar organizations operating here in the U.S. Uh, Global Christian Relief will continue to protect and encourage persecuted Christians around the world, um, according to a written statement from David Curry, who is also a member of the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. It will also equip the Western Church to advocate and pray for those Christians, he said. A pop-up on the Global Christian Relief homepage states the organization changed its name to reflect a larger vision to mobilize dedicated Christians like you to support our persecuted family. Yeah. Andrew Vanderbeel is a name not known to many, but a lot of folks will know the name Brother Andrew. He founded Open Doors in 1955. Uh, He wrote a book called God's Smuggler, which kind of put the ministry on the map. And uh, they've been supporting persecuted Christians around the world. I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but Andrew Vanderbeel died in September at age 90. Open Doors works with churches and local partners in countries around the world to provide Bibles, Christian materials, training, and advocacy for Christians who are persecuted for their faith. Yeah, the organization also releases a world watch list every year. It's a list, by the way, that I have found helpful and have reported on uh, many times over the last couple of decades. It details countries where Christians are most persecuted. This year will mark the 30th anniversary that Open Doors releases that list, and it's scheduled to come out on January the 18th. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, a little-known Arabic language ministry celebrates a milestone. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. 
Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, next up, the story we promised before the break, it's a story of a 50-year-old ministry that almost no one has ever heard of. Yeah, when Pastor Jad arrived in the United States from the Middle East in 1972, 50 years ago now, there were only a few Arabic language churches in the United States, but he has helped plant more than 300 Arabic churches across the country since then. It's a great story that only a few hundred people know about because Pastor Jad's $800,000 ministry, Voice of Truth, is publicity adverse. They resist media coverage for decades, and it spends $0 a year on fundraising. Yeah, that's right. But after a recent 50th anniversary dinner for about 250 workers, partners, friends, and donors, the ministry did offer to share some of its achievements with uh, our reporter, Steve Raby. And they're pretty impressive. Um, they produce an Arabic-language Christian radio broadcast that's carried on 60 American radio stations. Uh, the group has also printed and distributed about 3 million tracts called How to Know Christ, 2 million New Testaments, and about 350,000 complete Bibles in 15 languages. So how did the ministry start? Well, that's a great story, too. Uh, Pastor Jad was raised in a traditional Catholic family in Syria, but his faith came alive after he heard an evangelistic message from an evangelical preacher. He felt the call to be a young Christian evangelist himself while he was still in his teens. Now, this led to pressure, persecution, and even a brief imprisonment in Syria, where about 87% of the population is Muslim and laws prohibit evangelism. So he left Syria for Lebanon, where the work was a bit safer, but he said that God called him to minister to the growing number of Arabs in the West. Today, some three 3.7 million Americans have roots in Arab countries. Our next story is a follow-up of one we've been covering for quite a while. Yeah, it's a flashy prosperity gospel preacher named Bishop Lamar Miller Whitehead. He's back home uh, at his multi-million dollar home in New Jersey uh, after being arrested by federal agents in December for allegedly scamming a member of his congregation out of about $90,000 that she says he promised to use to buy her a home, among other things. Whitehead was indicted on two counts of wire fraud, one count of extortion, and one count of making materials false statements for lying to the FBI and faces a maximum of 65 years in prison. 
Now, he's pleaded not guilty to all of these charges, and he was released on a $500,000 bond. His lawyer, Don Florio, denied the charges and said Miller Whitehead would vigorously defend himself against them. That, according to a report in the New York Post. We've been covering this preacher for a while here on Ministry Watch. Yeah, we have uh, Lamar Whitehead, who drives luxury automobiles and wears designer clothes, came into the national spotlight when he and his wife were robbed of $1 million worth of jewelry by three armed men on July 24th, while Lamar Whitehead was giving a sermon at the Brooklyn Church that he founded. It's called Leaders of Tomorrow International Ministries. Now, all of this was captured on video, and we, in fact, wrote about that when it happened last summer. And two suspects were arrested in September in connection with the robbery, and the third defendant remains at large. Yeah, after the robbery, though, uh, Miller Whitehead had sued two separate YouTube personalities for $20 million each for defamation of character in connection with online commentaries that they made about the about that video. The uh, lawsuit alleges that the personalities poked fun at Miller Whitehead, claiming the robbery was staged and called uh, Miller Whitehead a drug dealer and a scammer, and that their commentaries led to Miller Whitehead losing business deals, church members, and income. Now, the New York Post reported that Miller Whitehead has a 6,200-square-foot home in uh, Paramus, New Jersey. It's worth more than $2.8 million, and he drives a Rolls-Royce. Our next story is the latest in the crackdown by both federal and state officials around the country on child exploitation. Yeah, a federal judge has sentenced a church volunteer in Joplin, Missouri, to six years in federal prison without parole for two counts of distributing child pornography. Court records state that between December of 2021 and January of 2022, Nicholas Lane Stevens, who is 25 years old, employed, used, persuaded, induced, enticed, and coerced, these are, this is language from the court record, a minor into sexually explicit conduct. He then captured uh, images of that behavior uh, on, of, of the minor and then distributed them. Police launched an investigation after a tip to the children's division said that Stevens, a volunteer at the church, was involved in inappropriate relationship with minor females associated with the church. Yeah, one of the relationships included a 17-year-old victim identified in the court documents as Jane Doe. Now, Jane Doe told investigators that in December of 2019, she sent nude images to Stevens via Snapchat. Uh, Stevens also um, shared several pornographic photographs of himself and pornographic FaceTime videos with Jane Doe. Examiners discovered a dozen images and one video of child pornography of Doe on Stephen's cell phone. The phone also held numerous messages between the two. The Missouri State Department of Justice said that Stevens was formerly the youth minister at St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Joplin campus. However, the church denied that, saying that Stevens was not on staff, but was rather a volunteer with the youth worship team. In addition to serving his six-year sentence, Stevens will submit to supervision and monitoring for 15 years. 
Our next story highlights a new program that could help prevent situations such as the one we just reported. Yeah, that's right. A new child safety accreditation program is launching this month for Christian Ministries Serving Children, uh, created and managed by ECAP, the Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention. The program puts churches, schools, camps, and other ministries through a rigorous process to implement, validate, and comply with a five-part set of abuse prevention protocols. The program will launch next week after the Florida-based nonprofit spent more than a year testing its child protection standards with several candidates. That's right. ECAP signed up a diverse lineup for pilot testing as part of the charter phase of the accreditation process. Nineteen charter members, including about a dozen churches across multiple states, plus Christian schools and ministries that serve children, were a part of that pilot program. ECAP only has one fully accredited member so far. That's Providence Church in Frisco, Texas, right outside of Dallas. But it plans to conduct more audits in 2023. Executive Director Jeff Delrymple told Ministry Watch last year that ECAP was founded in 2019 following the Houston Chronicle's Abuse of Faith investigation, which exposed hundreds of Southern Baptist leaders and volunteers who had had been accused of misconduct by more than 700 victims since the late 1990s. Yeah, against that backdrop uh, and the backdrop of other abuse scandals that involved the Boy Scouts of America, the Roman Catholic Church, and, of course, that Southern Baptist investigation, uh, Dalrymple sprang into action. He said this, Someone needed to create standards that protect children from harm as well as organizations that implement and sustain them. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, I know that I don't have to tell anyone listening that we're in a new year. Uh, 2022 is in the history books, and those of you who still use paper checks have to remember to write 2023 on them now. So we posted a number of year-end features on our website. One of them was the most read stories of the year, and we talked about that list in a special episode of the podcast last week. So what else do you have? 
Well, we also published a list of what we here at Ministry Watch consider to be our most significant stories of the year. They were stories that may not have had the most page views. Uh, maybe they you know, weren't involving a celebrity, for example, which does tend to get more page views on our site. But they were stories that we think are the kind of story that Ministry Watch exists to do and stories that we want to bring to our readers' attention here at Year End. So, for example, we've got stories on Bible translation, stories that we think will help pastors and ministry leaders be more effective in their roles, and a number of stories for donors, stories that we think will help them be more effective stewards. That sounds like a great resource. Well, I think it is, and you can find it on the front page of our website this week. You also published a list of the best books of 2022. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Although I should qualify that and say that it is a list of the best books that I read during 2022. I couldn't possibly read enough books to come up with a true best of list, but I do stay pretty current on the issues that we cover here at Ministry Watch. I probably read close to 40 books last year, so I chose 10 of them that I think are worth highlighting. And again, you can find that list on the front page of our website as well. We've also got the annual list of highly paid ministry executives on the site now. Yeah, we do. Uh, This list is usually one of our most read stories of the year. And I should add that this year we've done something a little different. We've published two lists instead of one list. We were finding that Christian colleges and university executives were dominating our salary list. They tend to be much, much larger organizations. So we broke them out and they have a list of their own. So we have a list that includes what you might call traditional ministry executives. That's a list of 100 people. And another list, also 100 people, devoted just to college and university executives. We think that uh, these lists will provide more of an apples-to-apples comparison. You're not comparing, for example, a university president to someone who leads a rescue mission or a, a, a homeless shelter. It also allows us to get the salaries of not 100, but 200 executives in plain view of the public, um, rather than just, as I said, the 100 that we published in the past. Well, we also have a feature returning for a new year, and that's Christina Darnell's Ministries Making a Difference. Who does she feature this week? Fellowship of Christian Athletes is in the news again. They say that it saw 52,000-plus decisions for faith through its various ministries across the country in the last fiscal year. FCA's new faith response tool will also allow the ministry to keep better track of faith decisions made by coaches and athletes through its texting system. By the way, I should add that FCA gets some of the highest marks from Ministry Watch. They've got an A transparency grade, um, a donor confidence score of 90, which means give with confidence. And I also want to mention Lonesome Dove Ranch, which is right outside of Royce City, Texas. It hosts six three-day roundup camps each summer for foster children who have been victims of abuse. Uh, The 120-acre camp led by a Texas pastor who himself was a victim of abuse as a child connects children with God and nature through archery, uh, fishing, tractors, horse rides, bonfires, and relationships, and ends with a birthday party celebrating each child. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? 
Yeah, a couple of quick items. Uh, first of all, I just want to say a big thank you to those of you who showed up for us at year end. We had what was for us a very ambitious goal of $81,000 for the months of November and December combined. Uh, we met that goal with a little bit of room to spare. I don't know exactly what the final tally is since we're still getting checks in the mail postmarked December 31. Uh, I will share with you a final number next week, but until then, please know that I'm grateful, humbled, and if I'm being honest, a bit relieved all at once. So again, thank you. And one final note before we go. Uh, in the past, we've done a webinar uh, periodically called How to Find and Read a Form 990. This webinar has proven so popular that we've repeated it, I don't know, maybe three or four times over the last couple of years. Uh, we're going to do it again. It will take place on February the 1st at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Just check the Daily Ministry Watch email for a link to the registration page. Now, now, the webinar is absolutely free, but you do need to register to get the links and all the details. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Shannon Cuthrill, Jessica Adoralde, Anne Stike, Steve Raby, Catherine Post, Mark Tooley, Emily McFarlane Miller, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. A special thanks to World Opinions for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.